Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Turning 50 was easy for me, uh, as for the most part, by that age I had already developed osteoarthritis and hearing loss, so there were not too many new surprises. Yet what I was not prepared for was that I developed constipation. Joining me today is Dr. Robert Baldor, Senior Vice Chair and Professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and he and, I are going to be, he and I are going to be discussing the diagnosis and management of chronic constipation. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Frank. Uh, pleased to be here, and I'm sorry to hear about that uh, unfortunate uh, development. So, Bob, I'm 56. I'm cruising along through life. I eat a very high-fiber, vegetable-based diet. I exercise regularly, and all of a sudden, I develop constipation. Um, what's the initial workup for patients who, at a, for no apparent reason, suddenly develop problems with constipation? Well, that's a good question, but let me back you up a little bit. What the heck is constipation, right? So, you know, it's, there is a, trying to think about the definition as to what this is, and there is a, uh, the American Gastrologic uh, Association has a definition, which is unsatisfactory defecation with infrequent stools, difficult stool passage, or both. And so people look at this saying, well, you know, you got, if you're not going at least three times a week, you're constipated, or, or, or uh, you're not going daily. So I think a little bit of this is when you're asking somebody who's coming in saying they're constipated, you want to get a little bit of a history as well. You want to find out what do they mean by that? Are they not going as frequently as they'd like? Are they having pain or difficulty when they're moving their bowels and so on? So, so tease that out. So if indeed you've got somebody who's having difficulty moving their bowels, it's important to think about uh, the pathophysiology underlying bowel movements and constipation. So there's two components to this. When you have something to eat, it's got to make its way through your system. It's got to get through the digestive tract and it's got to deliver itself into the, um, uh, in, in, into the distal colon and uh, to be ready to be expelled. So some people can have problems with transit time. So you've got slow transit time. It's taking too long for the uh, intestinal contents to get down into the rectum to be expelled. Other people are doing fine. They, uh, things flow along okay, but when it gets to that area, they're having trouble expelling it, and that's because they're having problems with sphincter function. So there's, there's, there's two pieces uh, uh, to this uh, component of it. Although, if it turns out, most folks have what's called functional constipation, where if you actually measure their transit time, it's normal, and they actually don't have any sphincter dysfunction yeah, uh, if, you, if, if you look at that. So what's going on there? And that's a little bit which uh, probably you were having. They said, I'm eating lots of fruits and vegetables and so on. Well, it turns out you're probably not obeying the urge. So believe it or not, Frank, we're actually programmed to move our bowels. We have built-in reflexes in our intestinal tract. And I won't go through all this, uh, but you may have remembered it back from when you were in medical school. But when you eat something, and it, 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 your stomach stretches, as you stretch your stomach, about five minutes later, a signal goes to your rectum that says, okay, whatever's in there, move it along. Let's dump things out. It's built in to have that happen. So typically, you've had your breakfast, 
And what's happening? You're not thinking I'm going to go sit on the pot, right? You're thinking I got to get in my car and drive to work. Uh, you're, so you do is you suppress the urge. It's the urge to go. Now what happens is if you have to urinate, right? Same, you, know, you get the urge to, to urinate. You can suppress that urge. 20 minutes later, maybe you can suppress it again. Within a half an hour, you've got to go. There's no way you can continue to suppress that urge to urinate. Well, because it recurs rather frequently. Moving your bowels, that urge recurs every four hours. So you've suppressed it because now you're jumping in your car to go to work. And now, four hours later, what's happened when the urge comes back? Well, you're at work. You're not busy. Yeah, you're not going to, you're busy, but you're not going to use that public restroom. You're going to wait till you get home. Anyways, this is what happens to people. They suppress the urge over and over again until they become constipated, either because they're busy or they don't use public restrooms or they're doing other things as, as, as part of that. So that's, so you got to keep all that stuff in mind when you're seeing somebody with constipation. Now, red flags are important. You asked about workup. So it turns out new onset constipation after the age of 50 is a red flag, Frank. So I don't know if you got your colonoscopy or not. I did. I did, Bob. Okay, good. It's all good. All right, because your concern after that is there's something going on. I mean, thinking about colon cancer, really, the other red flags are uh, melena or hematochesia. Unintentional weight loss. I don't think that's happened. Okay. Thank you, no. <laughs> uh, or, or anemia. So if you're seeing those red flags, then you should pursue, a, uh, you should pursue the, uh, the, the, the colonoscopy. Um, the other part of this is uh, if somebody's having a severe problem, again, you should do, again, I talked about the history, but a physical exam. Uh, you should do an abdominal exam looking for any masses or so on. Uh, a rectal exam looking for pain or fissures or uh, different things that are, uh, that, that, that are going uh, on as well. So those are all the sort of things you should be thinking about. I tell you, I don't tend to do that a lot, but if there's a severe problem or people aren't responding to my therapy, then I'll be a little bit more aggressive with my, with my, physical, uh, my physical exam. How about tests, Bob? What should we order? Well, I think it's appropriate to think about underlying uh, metabolic disorders that can, that can cause this. And so I certainly would grab a CBC. Again, you're looking more for uh, anemia. anemia with that. I'd look for glucose because we certainly know that diabetics have uh, decreased transit time and constipation is part of a problem for them. Thyroid testing, uh, creatinine, looking for any renal dysfunction, and calcium. But those are the only tests you really uh, need, need to be doing on a routine basis for folks coming in. Oh, great. Uh, any indications for imaging? Well, again, I think if, uh, so I talked about the red flags. So, so assuming that uh, the only time to really think further about imaging is if people aren't responding to your treatment and to what's happening. It's more of a resistant, a resistant case. And so you may want to then think about whether you're going to do a, a barium enema, looking for megacolon. There are some special tests you can order. You can have people uh, swallow these, uh, uh, what's called radiopaque SITS markers. Uh, and then you do a KUB and you follow them through the intestine to see how long it takes for them to get through the intestine. Really by five days, things should be out of your system. And if five days later you do that KUB and the SITS markers are sitting throughout the intestine, that's slow transit time. If they're all sitting in the rectum, that's a problem with, with uh, rectal dysfunction, sphincter dysfunction. Great. All right, well, we've kind of talked about initial diagnosis and workup. Um, what are the best treatments for constipation? You know, so it's really interesting. I think for, for years we talked about stool softeners and Ducasate as the a, as a best treatment, and we come to find out that that's probably not the best treatment. 
um, with some recent studies that have looked at that. But there are classes of medications that we can, classes of uh, these medications, uh, but different things that we can do. And so just to quickly tick through these, um, there are bulking agents, and you've already tried that, fiber, as a, as a piece of this. Mm -hmm. And so we get fiber at the grocery store, but you can also get it um, uh, at, at the pharmacy too, over the counter, using such things as uh, psyllium seed and uh, different things. But the problem with fiber, uh, fiber can make things worse if it's not coupled with adequate fluid. So first of all, you need 25 grams of fiber a day. So an apple has like two grams of fiber. So you need like 12 apples a day to keep the doctor away, you know? So you really, it's hard to get enough fiber uh, with that. And for every, um, when you're having the fiber, you have to couple that with adequate fluid, which is probably like a half a gallon of fluid that needs to go along with that. Most people don't take in enough fiber. They may think they do. And secondly, they're not taking in enough fluid. So that's the general sense of it. So we can prescribe things, right? There's stimulant laxatives, there are lubricant laxatives, there are osmotic agents. And if you look at the data out there, the osmotic agents have the best data for efficacy. And uh, we talk about uh, polyethylene glycol. That's probably the most efficacious that's out there. Um, what that does is it's, it's a, uh, uh, it's, it's a non-absorbable, uh, not metabolized uh, uh, compound that sits in the bowel and it pulls fluid into the stool, keeping the stool soft so that it moves along. For years, we talked about things like lactulose. Lactulose is a very similar uh, compound to, uh, to the polyethylene glycol, although lactulose itself, though, gets metabolized by the bowel flora and you have a lot of gas and cramping with it. And uh, the polyethylene glycol, you don't, uh, you don't, you don't see that. So those are the general laxative agents we've talked about. What's really interesting in the last few years has been medications we can prescribe. So um, this was probably the, the first one was uh, lubipristone uh, amatiza, which was, is a uh, selective uh, chloride calcium channel activator. And what this does is it's a pill you take uh, by mouth, and it increases the secretion of chloride into the small bowel. So as Chloride goes, what goes with chloride? Sodium chloride. So sodium follows the chloride, you pull a lot of fluid into the bowel, and that helps you to have a softer, bulkier stool to move, uh, move things uh, around. And then, actually just last month, there was, was a FDA approved a new medication for chronic idiopathic uh, constipation, and this is a, a newer class of drug. There was another compound approved here uh, a year ago, and these are uh, guanolate cyclase C agonists. So this is the latest class of agents. The, the medication is, uh, that was just approved is called uh, aplicanotide, and uh, the one that was approved uh, just before this was uh, linicotide. I can't say those names really well, but the, um, what they do, what these, this class of agents does is it uh, works on the intestinal lining. It's a little bit kind of like what the, uh, the, the, the chloride uh, channels that are out there, but this uh, it triggers the conductance regulator ion, the CFTR ion channels. And what that channel does is it opens up chloride. Chloride then flows into the intestinal lumen, pulling sodium with it and increasing uh, fluid as you go along with it. And so really this is the first time we've had something that's been approved just for chronic idiopathic constipation as opposed to being for uh, opioid-induced or uh, uh, somebody who is uh, uh, dealing with um, uh, hospice care, uh, th th those types of, uh, of, uh, of conditions, or related to irritable bowel syndrome, uh, constipation dominant irritable bowel syndrome. This is really for, so it's really, I have not used this agent, just approved last month. Um, and so again, when people aren't responding to my 
basic um, advice. I, just, I didn't prescribe these, these, these medications. All right, so uh, to summarize, it sounds like you need to try to first decide whether this is transit time, sphincter problem, or idiopathic. Uh, do tests if you need to, but if you don't suspect, if there's no red flags, go ahead and treat aggressively with bulking up with fiber and certainly increasing the water. Um, and then when, if things continue. And, and, and exercise. So, so oh. we always go with that first is, is, is exercise, uh, you know, uh, fiber and, and fluids. Uh, of those three, probably the most important is the fluid. Mm -hmm. And then I loved your thought about obeying the urge. I think this is something that um, patients are very busy and we as clinicians don't always know that we should be giving that advice. So I, I really appreciate that insight. Yeah, it's really important to have, even when they're on agents, if they're not obeying the urge, you're still going to have problems. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, not a great time, but five or ten minutes after you've eaten, go and sit on the pot and see if you can move your bowels. And so for a lot of people, they've ignored this urge for many, many years. It'll take a while for it to come back. It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. But for them to try to move their bowels at that time, uh, that'll be a big help, As uh, probably uh, just as important as the medications that we're using. Thank you, Bob. This has been very helpful and sheds new light on both my and many of my patients' problems. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the Resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, Please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. We want to keep making this podcast better with every episode, so we need your feedback. Tell us what you think by submitting your feedback via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or log into primed.com and submit your feedback at the bottom of the episode landing page. Thank you again for listening.